Welcome to the Israel Daily News Podcast. I'm your host, Shanna Fold, and I'm here to get you caught up quickly. I've got some top news stories for you today from Israel, and guess what? You're listening, so you're already on top of your game. Survive and thrive, people. Knowledge is the best weapon. Today is Friday, November 17th, 2023 in the Gregorian calendar and the 4th of Kislev, 5784 in the Hebrew calendar. Today, I broadcast to you from New York City, where I was born and raised. I came home to see my family for Thanksgiving and have a speaking tour where I'll be addressing anti-Semitism on college campuses and giving the news throughout a number of networks and TV ta- and TV stations. Today, I'm giving a live broadcast for News Nation in which I'm going to be talking about the distressing situation for Jews on college campuses. At the end of today's podcast, I'll share some audio recordings from family members of hostages in Gaza. I interviewed them before I left. I'm going to also leave you off with a Torah thought to kick off your weekend as well. Now, let's get to the news. Amid the ongoing 40-plus days of war, today is day 42. There are still about 239 hostages in Gaza. Hamas is reportedly agreeing to the idea of releasing 50 women and children out of that group. In exchange, Israel would agree to a three to five day pause in fighting, more humanitarian aid and a release of women and children who they say are held in Israeli prisons. When we say children, we mean people under 18, by the way, not toddlers. All of this comes on the heels of a heinous attack by Hamas terrorists on October 7th, in which the group brutally murdered and raped some 1,200 Israeli Jews, Bedouins, and foreign nationals who were working in the south of Israel. At least 39 workers from Thailand, 10 agricultural students from Nepal, six or seven construction workers from China, and six caregivers from Sri Lanka, the Philippines, and Moldova were murdered during this reckless and intentional attack. Others were taken captive into Gaza and are still there. 26 Bedouin citizens of Israel were killed as well, 19 of them by the hands of Hamas terrorists and seven by rocket fire. Some Bedouins who spoke to the Israel press and were highlighted for having come to rescue Israelis on the 7th of October were intimidated and threatened subsequently by Hamas afterward, being contacted by them and told not to speak up. I have an interview scheduled with one of these Bedouin men coming up soon. Yehudit Weiss, abducted by Hamas terrorists on October 7th, has been found dead by the Israel Defense Forces near Shifa Hospital in the Gaza Strip. The IDF recovered her body along with military equipment belonging to Hamas. Yehudit, a mother of five, was undergoing cancer treatment at the time of the attack, during which her husband was also murdered. The IDF confirms she was killed by the terrorists in Gaza and her body was brought into Israel for identification. The military shared their condolences to the family and emphasized their commitment to locating missing hostages, stating that Weiss is the second abductee known to have died while in captivity. The Weiss family, in an interview, urged officials to bring home the remaining captives. 
The funeral of Corporal Noah Marciano was held today, so that's Friday, and her mother, Adi, expressed deep sorrow and gratitude for soldiers who recovered Noah's body in northern Gaza. Noah Marciano, a border observer at Nahal Oz IDF base, was kidnapped by Hamas during the October 7th attack in southern Israel. 19-year-old Marciano was part of the Combat Intelligence Collection Unit when the Nahal Oz IDF base was overrun by terrorists. Her mother, Adi, highlighted Noah's selflessness, putting others first, and said the pain of her departure is widely felt. The city of Modi'in, where the family lives, is filled with Israeli flags on every window, and the wider community has made a strong effort for support. Adi says she hopes Noah will be the last one to die and that everyone will return home safely. Families of hostages are marching from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem with the Hostages and Missing Families Forum. The idea is to get the government's war cabinet to meet with them and, as they say, look them in the eyes. The marchers paid a shiva call to the Marciano family in Modi'in along their journey. Modi'in is between Tel Aviv and Jerusalem. Noah's father, Avi Marciano, called on Israel's leaders to meet with the families and provide answers, stating they would fight for their cause. The families requested a meeting with the government's war cabinet, but so far have received no response. The march continued toward Jerusalem after their stop in Modi'in. One of the first seasonal rains came down on the marchers, but they say after intense heat, it actually made everyone laugh as everyone was getting soaked out in the rain. At one point, the procession had to drop down and everyone had to put their hands over their heads in cover, hoping that rockets wouldn't fall down on them as the sirens went off. One of the hostages is a 67-year-old woman who founded an NGO that gets farmers in Africa to plant seeds that yield higher results. The hope is to reduce hunger for Africans. Her son was a part of this march. Many reported finding friendship and connection among the group of marchers where people can relate to others who are missing their immediate family members. This week, IDF forces entered the Al-Shifa hospital in the Gaza Strip, where they believe Hamas terrorists had their headquarters. Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu stated that one of the reasons for raiding Gaza's Shifa hospital was also strong indications that some of the hostages taken by Hamas on October 7th were being held there. Netanyahu claims that Israel has, quote, concrete evidence of Shifa Hospital being used for military purposes with a command post found in one of the lower levels containing military communications, coded equipment, bombs, weapons, and terror tunnels. He said by the time they got there, the hostages likely were already removed from the hospital. Netanyahu also mentioned that efforts to spare civilians in Gaza have not always been successful and that Israel aims to prevent the reemergence of terror in Gaza while demilitarizing and de-radicalizing the region. Both of the women I mentioned who were found dead in Gaza were found in buildings near the Al-Shifa hospital. Israel confirms that a woman abducted by Hamas on October 7th gave birth in captivity. The woman, reported to be a foreign worker in an Israeli border town, is among the hostages taken during Hamas's October 7th attack. The prime minister's wife, Sarah Netanyahu, sent this communication to U.S. First Lady Jill Biden to call for the immediate release of all hostages held by Gaza, and she appealed to her as a wife and mother. 
The total death toll in Gaza, as stated by the Hamas-run health ministry, is reported to be 11,240. Though these figures lack independent verification, meaning that the only way that we can understand the numbers are by the health ministry run by and controlled by Hamas, and it does not distinguish between civilians and militants slash terrorists. So we don't know which of among these are terrorists that were intentionally killed and civilians that were killed as casualties. Another news update, Israel will now be allowed two trucks of humanitarian aid into Gaza per day. Pro-Palestinian supporter and protester Loai Al-Naji, a 50-year-old U.S. college professor, has been charged with involuntary manslaughter and battery in the death of pro-Israel protester Paul Kessler during Southern California demonstrations over the Israel-Hamas war. The charges include special allegations that Al-Naji personally inflicted, quote, great bodily injury on Kessler during a confrontation at an event that began as a pro-Palestinian demonstration in Thousand Oaks, California. Kessler, 69 years old, died on November 6th, a day after the protest. The local branch of the Jewish Federation reports Kessler had been hit over the head with a megaphone and then fell to the ground, leaving a bloody stain on the cement, which you could see if you looked at the pictures of this poor Jewish man. The district attorney has not explained the evidence supporting the charges, but plans to hold a news conference for further details. Additional charges, including a hate crime, are still in consideration. Meanwhile, on the other side of the U.S., over here in New York City, within our lifetime, a pro-Palestinian group posted a map online with targets showing where Jews are located and said that these Jews had blood on their hands and called to action pro-Palestinian supporters to target them. It caught the attention of the NYPD or the New York Police Department. The group has since taken down those posts from social media. I want to thank all of you for your interest in Israeli affairs, Israeli politics, our world politics. I also want to thank all of you who personally finance and fund the Israel Daily News podcast with monthly contributions. You can support us with monthly contributions by going over to anchor.fm backslash Israel Daily News. You can contribute whatever feels good to you. Listener support is quite literally what helps me continue down this road of independent journalism so that I can do the work that I I think needs to be done without any control or outside influence. I also want to thank all of you for your constant words of support. Those words get me into my recording chair. To make a one-time contribution to fund my special wartime coverage, which I take very seriously, you can type my name in to Google Shanna Fold and GoFundMe, and you'll find that page right away. It's a GoFundMe for our wartime coverage. You can also support us by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts. Two, you can share the show with a friend. And three, you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at IsraelDaily.News, as well as Shanna Fold. My name has two N's in it, and I'm... Very sensitive about that. You can also find us on Twitter at Israel Podcast. And now for a special report. I went to the Dead Sea where I explored a couple of hotels which have turned into complete refugee centers. I have found that no one is talking about the Israeli refugees at all, especially in the international community. Where I live in Tel Aviv, I see new neighbors, new people hanging out on hotel stoops, 
all the way around. New families with loads of kids just waiting on the boardwalk, not sure what to do with themselves, or playing with workout equipment that is usually frequented by young people in their 20s and 30s who are usually hanging out on the Tel Aviv beaches and working on their fitness. Today, you see little kids just not sure what to do with themselves. You can tell who is from out of town for sure. The New York Times refers to these refugees as evacuees, while using more sympathetic wording to refer to displaced Palestinians who are evacuated during this time as well. They report that 125,000 Israelis have evacuated from unsafe borders of Gaza and Lebanon inside Israel, but I have heard that there are more like 200,000. So I'm sure the number is somewhere in between 125 and 200,000. I even have refugees living in my apartment building and next door to me in my apartment building in Tel Aviv. They tell me they have no idea when they are going to be allowed back in their homes. Let's hear from one of the survivors that I met at the Dead Sea conference named Ayelet. I'm going to give her a more proper introduction later, but I just want you to get this little bite about refugees in the meantime. But we are refugees. I mean... There's, we have no home, we have no place to go back to, we have nothing of our own, everything, everything I wear right now is not mine, it's all donations from very good people who take care of us, very good care of us, but we are refugees, we live in a hotel, we, I live in one room with my husband and my two kids, and it's not a life. It's something else. I say, to, I say we live in limbo right now because there's no certainty about anything that's going to happen in my life. The hotels in the Dead Sea are full of Israeli refugees who cannot live in their homes in the south near the Gaza border because the communities have been torched, dismantled, and are still considered unsafe by the IDF. I visited the hotel community of Kibbutz Beri, where nearly the entire community now lives in this one hotel. Every night they gather around for a briefing about who from their kibbutz has lived, who has been confirmed dead, and who is in Gaza. Don't forget that the bodies from the October 7th attack on southern Israel are still being identified. So, so many people do not know anything about where their loved ones are. The hotel has a dedicated space where people can pick up donated clothes, bags, and goods they may need in order to dress themselves and their families. So many people came with only the clothes on their bodies, and maybe, if they were lucky, the shoes on their feet. Many people were barefoot. Keep in mind that so many people were awoken suddenly by terror at 6.30 in the morning. Kids were taken captive into Gaza in their pajamas. Some, if they were lucky, spent up to 24 hours hoping and praying to be rescued from their safe room, only to come out and find their homes burned down and pillaged by local Palestinians who came to loot during the Hamas massacre and pick up items they deemed worthwhile to take home from Jewish houses. One part of the hotel has a makeshift kindergarten where parents hope their kids can continue to get some kind of basic education and playtime. The outdoor space, which has a stunning view of the Dead Sea, is a place of healing. 
While I was there, I dropped in on some of the therapeutic opportunities that volunteers brought to the hotel. This was all in addition to the traditional talk therapy, which is available around the clock. I saw people sitting in booths talking. I sat down at the dog station with two dogs that were meant to be pet. I have to say, it works like a charm, and getting to play with a dog is very good for the soul. Also, having a hug is good. As I sit here in New York City and make edits to my podcast script, I hear a car outside making a noise. To me, it sounded like the start of an incoming rocket siren. My heart just jumped, and I ask myself, where can I run? I forgot that I'm in New York. That is life in Israel right now, and it's going to take some time for my body to recognize and understand that I'm in a new place. If you talk to anybody in Israel right now, they will tell you that loud noises are very scary right now, and they could throw you into a place of panic. After reviewing the dog petting station at the Dead Sea Hotel, I moved on to what is called a sound bath where people laid out on their backs, eyes closed, while a man in an IDF uniform hit a number of different metal bowls. The sounds emitted were all-encompassing, and it was very easy to find a way to push the outside world out and just focus on the reverberating vibrations of the gongs. I loved getting to see the little girls, the older men and the women and the teenagers all coming together on the mat for this calming exercise, which is seriously what they need. It was a very proud moment for me looking on as an Israeli to see other Israelis supporting their brothers and sisters. I ended up while there running into a survivor that you all heard from. I interviewed him a couple of weeks ago while covering the destruction in Kibbutz Berry. He is the father that told me that his kids are afraid to leave his side. I witnessed it firsthand when I wanted to speak with him and his toddler son was attached to him like a hiker's backpack. It was cute, but it was sad. In my previous report, I said that he had two little girls. I understood while standing in front of him that he has one son and one daughter. I must have misunderstood him, and I wanted to clarify that. The reason, however, that I went to the hotel in the Dead Sea, some two and a half hours away from my home, was not to see how people are healing from their trauma. It was to witness a press conference by family members of hostages. I met the father of a 16-year-old skater boy who is in Gaza. I met a 27-year-old daughter of parents who have been both taken hostage. I met a woman whose parents were found bound up and killed. Her brother was set to be married just two weeks later. They ended up deciding to move ahead with a small wedding in spite of the intense atrocity. Can you imagine that? The stories were unworldly. I could not believe I was listening to them. Let's hear raw stories I recorded from Nir Shani, the father of a 16-year-old boy named Amit Shani, who is being held hostage, along with Ayelet, the sister of Raz ben Ami and her brother-in-law, who were kidnapped from their home on the 7th of October. Yuli is the 27-year-old daughter of the family who gave a compelling talk to the room of journalists. The kids were elsewhere in the kibbutz when their parents were taken, so they weren't together at the same time. All of the people you're going to hear from are from Kibbutz Berry because that's the kibbutz that we visited that is being housed by a Dead Sea hotel, one of many. You'll hear Yuli mention something that you are not hearing a lot about in the press that I think is extremely important. 
that she talks about the Palestinian looting that took place after the Jews on the kibbutz were murdered and their homes were ruined. So just expect to hear all of their voices up next. Kibbutz Berry was founded in, uh, you know, Yom Kippur, 1946. It's before the establishment of the State of Israel and it was part of the effort of establishing, uh, uh, establishing uh, uh, the Jewish uh, state, you know. Uh, there was argument what will be the borders and we put, uh, they put our kibbutz in the Negev because they wanted to, to spread the Jewish uh, settlement. Gradually we became a strong uh, uh, kibbutz from so the social point of view and from the economic point of view. The evening before uh, this terrible event, we had uh, uh, the 77th anniversary uh, festival. We had a very nice party. And then we went to sleep. And then the day after was the October 7. Uh, we were before this event uh, all together, children, members, residents, youngsters, students, something about 1,000 and 200 people. We are now more than 100 less. Um, 900 of us are here in our new and permanent uh, uh, kibbutz. Uh, these, are, these are the details. Now I think let's speak with uh, more important uh, people in this um, moment. The families, Yuli, Mir, Fiel. Uh, I'm Nir Shani, I'm uh, Amit Shani's father. Amit is a 16 years old boy who was kidnapped from his room. Uh, I'll tell you a bit about my son. Uh, me and my ex-wife are divorced for years, so uh, he wasn't with me at the time. I live by Ayelet, we live in the same neighborhood, it's the most western one. Uh, and our neighborhood was uh, occupied uh, around uh, 7.30, I think. Um, Many terrorists, lots of gunshots, lots of uh, screaming and yelling. Uh, me, myself, they entered my house around 9.30. Uh, they broke everything, broke the walls, uh, tried to enter uh, the safe room. I had to struggle with them and they set the house on fire. Uh, my house is burned, but I survived till the army uh, rescued me out around uh, 7 at the evening. It was like 10 hours. I was about 10, 10 hours in the safe room, like in a chimney, because it was very smoky. Uh, no water, all dark, because they um, took down the electricity. Uh, and we were waiting for the army to respond, which didn't happen until 4.30, I think. So this was, at that day, day that was uh, our main disappointment. At first, at 7.30, we heard a lot of gunshots and screaming, and it seems like they are ready for a battle against the army. And around uh, 9.30, there was like a mob, many people coming from, from the Gaza Strip and uh, robbing all our neighbors, entering the houses, breaking the walls, breaking the, the windows. Uh, so me, myself, I didn't, they didn't introduce themselves to me because I, I was behind the wall. But you have to hold on the handle of the door, otherwise they can open it. It's, you, you can't lock it. It's like a handle, and when you turn it, uh, up, yeah, it's locked. But you have to, to hold on to it. And you have to make sure they don't 
shoot through the door because they did it in some cases. Um, that was the situation more or less. And the meat, they were in, uh, in, in much more central neighborhood than me. They live like 300 meters uh, to the center of the kibbutz. Um, until 12.30, uh, I was in, in contact with his mother. Uh, she was concerned about me because she knew the situation. I have terrorists inside the house, on the top of the floor, uh, outside the windows. And I'm saying, yeah, I'm hanging on, I'm hanging on. Uh, and around 12.30, I lost contact with them. Uh, I thought to myself, maybe they did enter the house, they turned off the electricity like in my place, and you don't have a Wi-Fi in the safe room, so maybe that's the case. But later on, uh, they told me that uh, seven armed uh, entered the house. They succeeded to open the door. Uh, they took my ex-wife, they took Amit, and his two little sisters, uh, Emma, which is 12, and Rani, which is uh, nine years old. They took him out to the grass. Uh, they later on brought another neighbor's family, the Sharabi family, uh, which they kidnapped two more of them. Uh, they kidnapped Yossi Sharabi, he's 53 years old. And the boyfriend of the older daughter, his name is Ophir Engel, he's 17 years old. And in that family, there are also a mother and three daughters. Uh, they took them all uh, through the grass, towards the uh, inter-road. Uh, um, they brought a car. They tied the boys with ropes behind their back. Later on, my daughter told me that uh, they pulled out uh, knives and uh, took photos with, the with my daughters, like uh, knives uh, towards them. And then they put the three boys uh, in a black private car in the back seats. One of the terrorists sat by them and they drove away. And the girls and the mothers were left on the grass. And they can't explain, but suddenly all the other six uh, terrorists just vanished. They disappeared. So they had to find a shelter. They, they went to the first house they saw. There was a bag. The door was locked. And there was a bag with RPGs and grenades and weapons in front of the door. So they didn't touch it. They went behind, opened a door, a window and into that house. It's one of the old ladies in the kibbutz. Um, they, they knock on the door, ask her to open, but she thought it's terrible, so she didn't. And they just stay, stayed in one of the rooms for, for 10 hours, something like that, till 10 in the evening, when the soldiers came and they saw the bag and they planned to bomb it. And then they screamed, don't shoot, don't shoot, there are children inside and they were rescued. Uh, that's the story. Amit, as you can see by the picture, is very sweet. He's quiet. He gets good grades in uh, school, even though he, I never saw him uh, sitting and studying. <laughs> he loves uh, playing with his uh, skateboard and cover. That's he do every day. He also likes to surf when possible. So from time to time, we go to the beach and he serves. In the last year, he got really uh, interested in, in barbecue, trying to get control on the barbecue instead of me, <laughs> even though he's not very successful in that area. That's more or less, yeah. That's more or less the situation. Um, we know about my sister and uh, my brother-in-law from the 
from the social media. Uh, we had a photo of my brother-in-law uh, being held by, uh, by terrorists, apparently in Gaza, on Telegram. Somebody gave us a photo of him on Telegram. And my sister-in-law and my, my sister, I saw uh, somebody send me a video of her being kidnapped from the kids, being dragged with her pajamas, without shoes, being dragged through outside the fence of the kibbutz that was broken into, being dragged on a car by a lot of terrorists, countless terrorists. And well, that was the last time I saw him. I'm very stressed every day. Uh, we don't know anything about their physical condition. So every day is like unknowing what, what to do next. We are just hoping for good news every day. And we, me and my sister, we both very anxious to know what is going on. Uh, there's no answers for, er for anyone. The Hamas is no, not giving information, uh, not to us, not the government. Um, so we feel like every day is, is a battle and every day is counting and every day is a day that they already need to be here because we can't know how much longer they will, both of my parents, all of the kidnapped people, how many longer they will survive there. Uh, we don't know what they're doing to, to them because the Red Cross haven't been there. They didn't saw the condition. They didn't give them their med medication. Uh, people with sunglasses, with uh, glasses that they can't see they, they couldn't get the support they need. We don't know if they are, are underground, upground. We don't know if they know how many days they there. If they know when is morning, when is night. So I want to believe that they are alive and that they are together, carrying each other. But it's becoming difficult every day. In, in my parents' house, they, they stole a lot of things. Uh, they stole uh, documents, they stole televisions, they stole microwave. So it it's, it's don't feel like it's our place, but uh, we are in the community. Everyone is very helpful. Everybody, everyone is very caring. I feel that the community is helping us all the time. And we try to, to feel in our homes, but it's, it's not possible. They ruined all the house. Uh, they put a bomb in the second floor and all our garage with all our 
things from the past, all our life just exploded, so they don't exist anymore. Uh, my mother, she's an artist, and she has a room with all, all her things, and they just got into the room and ruined everything, broke everything. I saw our living room in videos. I, I couldn't go to the kibbutz. I couldn't, uh, emotional, couldn't go there. So I saw in a video they ruined everything, broke everything. Uh, they didn't burn my parents' house, but they shoot every, everything on the house. And what they didn't ruin, ruin they take, they took. We all, the family, uh, waiting for them. We all very strong. And we just want them back to hug them again. And I want them to be strong there and knowing that we are all healthy. Now let's hear from Michal, who is also a survivor from Barry. Her elderly parents were taken from their homes, but then murdered near the exit at the, the gate of the kibbutz when terrorists must have struggled to get this older couple to move with them at the speed that they needed while exiting. They were shot in the head while their hands were bound together. Mati and Amir Weiss were 69 years old. They were supposed to celebrate their 70th birthdays together with a cruise to New Zealand. Their lives were cut short. My parents uh, were murdered on the 7th of October, unfortunately. Um, we, uh, we are four uh, brothers in my family. There is me and three brothers. One, uh, one of them were in the security team that was um, uh, all around the kibbutz that morning, that day, actually. And we woke up uh, on 6.30 to an unnormal bombing, um, as you all probably have heard. It was not normal for us. It wasn't normal. It was, it, it was, it didn't stop. So we got to the safe room on 6.30, but uh, we didn't get out until 1 a.m. We wasn't ready for that. We didn't have any food nor uh, water. I'm sorry for the de description, but we, we peed on a bucket that we found in the safe room uh, because it was very frightening to get out. Just to read the WhatsApp groups shouting what's going on all around the kibbutz in that morning it was so frightening, so we, we didn't go out. Maybe my luck is uh, living on a second floor and not on the first floor. Uh, they didn't get into my home, but they were all around. We, sh we, we heard all the bombings. They were shooting on the safe room all the time. We kept whispering, we didn't put the air conditioner on so uh, they wouldn't uh, know that we are there. I think around nine, my mom wrote us that she hears uh, Arabic voices outside her house. And then a few seconds later she wrote, they're in my house, they're shouting, they're throwing grenades to blow up the house and the safe room door. And then there was the message of uh, dad got hurt, she was, he was shot. Later on, I understood he was shot through the safe room door. It wasn't safe. 
he was sitting in the safe room and the door was closed but the bullets got through the door so he got injured while sitting in the safe room which was not a safe room anymore my brother uh, did talk to my mom a few times during this time she was asking all the time how come the army is not coming and uh, that asking for for him to come and help her and he was very close he got very very close to her house but their house is on a strategic place so he uh, he see all the road down so the terrorists uh, took their house to, as a as a headquarters they my brother didn't have a chance to get near he did try very hard but didn't help they found my parents uh, not in the safe room they blew up the safe room door uh, they took them out and they they were found uh, by the by the gate of the kibbutz the back gate with their hand tied you know um, and shot in their head so we know they they tried to take them into Gaza I can just imagine they were very injured and couldn't walk and they didn't want to they didn't have time so they just uh, killed them there it's hard for me to to think they they died in in this way in fear in pain it, it doesn't deserve them to to die like this they are very good parents um. well michal told us her brother was set to get married and decided to go through with it the hamas attack happened on the 7th of october she was meant to have that wedding with her family on october 30th and they did michal told us it was a happy yet sad moment all mixed together at the small wedding and it went ahead she highlighted being able to intimately get to know the family of the bride and have some deep hugs she says hugs are a cure Let's hear a little more from her. I know, I know that a lot of people in the world are angry about Israel and about what we're doing, but just try to think what else can we do to protect our home? We don't have a home to get back to. And the only way we can go back and build Meiri again is to make sure that Hamas is not there anymore. We cannot go back if they're there. It's not like we, are, we were used to uh, a month ago uh, with the rockets. It's not the same. They penetrate to our homes. They burned down everything. They looked our, to the white in our, in our eyes and slaughtered us like, you know, they, what they did they acted like uh, the wars in the Bible. They burned houses to the ground. They raped. They murdered. They, um, they tortured. You don't fight like this anymore. Uh, in modern society, maybe they're not modern, they're not human, but we have a right to defend our country. I cannot go back home. I don't have home to get back to unless it's going to be safe. 
And people need to understand there is no other way. We have to take Hamas down in order to go home. Coming out of this interview, I would like to share off the back of what you just heard that in 1929, in 1929, there were 67 Jews that were murdered in the historically Jewish city of Hebron. And that slaughter was the same, the same style, murder, mutilation, rape, pillage and loot. That was the scale of it in 1929 with 67 Jews. Today, the massacre was 1,200. I want everyone to realize it was the same thing. We have experienced the same kind of barbarism over and over again. This time, it was just on a much wider scale, and the whole world has an opinion on it. I would also like to say that at that time, when 67 Jews were murdered, 250 Jews were saved and rescued by their Arab neighbors who had understood there was going to be a pogrom and hid and saved their Jewish neighbors that they had been friends with at the time. And I think it's really important at this time that we hear those kinds of stories. And now for a Torah thought from Rabbi Yossi Madvig of Oswego, New York. The Rebbe Maharash, the fourth Chabad Rebbe, explained a statement in the Talmud that says Rabbi Elazar would give a coin to a poor person and then pray. And he explained that prayer should be energetic. Giving tzedakah to a poor person and enlivening him before you pray not just enlivens him, but it increases the, your own vitality when you're praying. And so therefore, the Rebbe Rishab, the fifth Chabad Rebbe, before he would begin to his prayer service in the morning, he would often search out for a, a poor person to give them something to eat. And it's important to recognize that even if you see a poor person, you don't have anything with you, you don't have any money, you don't have any food to give them, you don't just ignore them, you can at least smile at them, you can give them something, show them a, a happy smiling face, and show that you care about them. And you can even say, I would love to give you something, it's just that I don't have anything with me. And in fact, the Rambam goes even further. He says that if you give charity, you actually give the charity, and you do it with an unhappy face, or you're looking at the ground, or you're not really showing the person you're giving the charity to any, any kind of respect, then while you may have done the mitzvah, you completely forfeit any merit that you gained from doing so, because that is not the appropriate way to give a donation. It should be done friendly and cheerfully and commiserating with the poor person in their distress. So go out there, help another person, whether it's giving them food, giving them money, or helping them with something that they need help with. Do it and do it happily and cheerfully. Shabbat Shalom. Well, I think that was great and a universal message of love that we all need to hear. All right. Well, that is it for today's show. Today is Friday, November 16th, 2023. Tel Aviv has a low of 18 degrees Celsius and a high of 26 degrees. That's 64 degrees Fahrenheit for the low going up to 78 degrees for the high. Subscribe to the Israel Daily News podcast on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever you're hearing it from. We are 
are everywhere. Don't forget to sign up to our Israel Weekly News Wrap. The Israel Weekly News Wrap is a newsletter with the top five stories coming out of Israel from throughout the week. And of course, I always put a personal note from me at the top with some links to my latest published works. You can sign up for that at IsraelDaily.News. Before I sign off, I want to remind you all that I'm going on News Nation today to talk about anti-Semitism on college campus. And Tuesday, I'll be giving some talks upstate New York as well. This is an extremely important matter that I would like everyone to zoom in. In on. A big thank you goes out to our social media director, Michelle Milner, who has been dealing with a lot of gruesome video and audio. Thank you, Michelle. I'm going to send you off now with a song called What They Mean by Erica Crawl. Have a great and productive day and an excellent weekend. Shabbat shalom, everyone. Yeah.